Thank you, Morris ladies, and happy birthday once again. And uh, at this time, parents, as always, you're welcome to have your kids stay with you during the service, or they can be dismissed now to kids' worship right out the back doors with Pastor David. If you would, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. When you find that, please stand with me, and we're going to read God's Word. We are uh, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, today we're looking at giving, and what Jesus has to say about that. We're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that you may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And Lord God, we thank you that we can open up your word once again today. We thank you, Lord, that we can be here to worship. And we thank you as as we're going to be coming to your table, as we're going to be breaking the bread and drinking of the cup, we are reminded once again of of how much we need you and and how much we fall short of your glory, your ideal. And we pray, Lord, as we open up your word, as we examine our hearts, that that you would, would examine our hearts and that you would teach us. And that once again, Lord, you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know it will probably sound like a a real understatement to say that we are living in challenging financial times, Uh, but we are, and and, and so it might seem a bit strange, it might even seem very appropriate that we today are going to talk about money, we're going to talk about giving, we're going to talk about giving that gives glory to God. Maybe it seems strangely appropriate that we deal with this subject today in the midst of of going through challenging financial times. Um, I've observed over the years that churches do not talk about money very often. Pastors don't talk about money very often because they're afraid to. Uh, You have got people who are very cautious about it, and rightly so. I am cautious about it. Um, You're dealing with the negative example of churches that have abused the financial aspect of the faith and the many people that they have hurt along the way. So you've got that aspect, but what happens is then churches say nothing. They say nothing for fear of being seen as greedy or only concerned about money. When you think about it, the focus that Jesus had on money was significant. He spoke of it often, but not because he wanted anyone to give him anything. Not because he wanted people to give him money. He was dealing more with a heart attitude. He was dealing more with the, the aspect of where are people's hearts and what is the object of their worship. Now, Jesus was concerned with that, and churches should be concerned as well. I believe churches and pastors should talk about money because it's a part of our lives. It's a very relevant part of the conversation about what really matters in life. And so we're going to talk about it today. You know, there are many people who are focused on ways to keep what little money they've got. Because it keeps slipping away. There are many people that are focused on how to get more of it. And uh, I will say this, when done for the right reasons, 
uh, saving and accumulating wealth are God-honoring pursuits. But most importantly, God wants us to use money to serve Him. God wants us to use money to glorify Him. God wants us to use money to fulfill the great command of loving God and the great commission of making disciples. And so when we come to Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, it is about giving. It is about giving our resources away, not keeping them for ourselves. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say about the motivation behind giving what we have away. It's in the context of how people are to live in light of their beliefs. So far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has dealt with the character of Christians, their influence as salt and light, and their heart attitude that affects every aspect of life, from family relationships, marriage, friendships, uh, and, and their attitude out in the community and around the world. We're now in a section that is dealing with a Christian's outward deeds, what a Christian does in response to what they believe. Uh, If you remember back with me, if you've been with us through this study, you've noticed that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48, it was about what people believed, that Jesus was setting the record straight, that the people, the religious leaders had twisted the scriptures. And so Jesus was basically saying, here's what it really says, here's what it really means. But now we're in a section in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, that's about what people do as a result of their beliefs. And Jesus gives three examples. Three examples of how a person's faith could be expressed and how seeking the approval of others can block a life consistently uh, connected to Jesus, a life of consistent interacting with Christ, and, and how that can lead to a life marked by hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Three acts that were very important to Jews were, were, uh, were giving and, and praying and fasting. Giving where they helped others. Praying where they talked to God. Fasting which benefited themselves and their spiritual life. The idea of being generous to those who are in need through giving. The idea of talking to God through prayer. And the idea of even doing without your food at the time you usually eat it because you are so intent on seeking after God. So intent on worshiping Him. And now we come to Matthew 6, 2-4. Jesus is dealing both with the public and private aspects of of giving. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, over and over again, is showing a better way, showing a way that leads to life, not death, a way that leads to joy, uh, not drudgery, uh, not gloom, a way that leads to freedom, not slavery. And so Jesus here is is basically saying, you want to live a life that pleases God? It's going to show in the way you give. It's going to show in the reasons why you give. There is a connection between your Bible and your checkbook, your pocketbook, your wallet. There is a connection. So Jesus begins with the idea of of giving in public, or what would have been done in the temple as people brought their their contributions week by week. So basically Jesus is saying, publicly, don't make a scene. Don't make a scene. Don't parade your giving around. Don't pridefully toot your own horn. Uh, don't fish for compliments. Don't do that. One can almost picture the, 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 the poor widow giving her, her two coins while, while the scribes and the Pharisees proudly walk up with their chests out and, and they're giving their gifts. They're giving their big gifts. 
those who belong to Jesus should know something about giving. Verse 2, Jesus says, when you give. When you give, not if you give. It was assumed that those who followed Christ would give. They would give of their resources. That those who belong to Jesus should know that everything they have is from God. That there is nothing that doesn't belong to Him. That they are then freely receiving from Him so they will freely give. That they consider nothing is coming from themselves. That there are no self-made people in the kingdom of God. And that only God-indwelt and God-inspired people who gratefully respond by giving uh, back to Him who owns everything anyway. See, if you follow Jesus, it's, it's not if, but when you give. And you are not to be like the hypocrites, Jesus says, who do it to be honored, who are motivated by pride, who are concerned more by um, appearances and having a good reputation. In fact, that's what to be honored means. When they says, it says they do it to be honored, it means they do it to gain a really good reputation. Being the person who did the good thing. Being the per- it's like us saying, I really want to be like Jesus, and then we slip into, I really want people to see me as someone who really wants to be like Jesus. And then motivation gets all twisted. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who just want a good reputation. They just want to be honored. Jesus says there is to be no trumpet playing when you give. Not a problem here. We didn't play any trumpets today, right? I want you to know something. This does not mean he didn't like trumpets. So if you play the trumpet, don't, don't feel bad, okay? This doesn't mean that he'd rather have banjos or bagpipes or accordions or even guitar. What does it mean? What does it mean? Um, don't, don't blow a trumpet before you just like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and out in the streets, so they will be noticed, so they will be honored. What does that mean? Well, maybe it was because people blew trumpets often before they gave. Maybe it was that they often get called trumpets to call the poor and let them know that there was a gift that had been given to benefit them. Maybe Jesus is referring to the boxes for charitable contributions that were in the temple, that were trumpet-shaped. They were called shofar chests, they were trumpet-shaped so people couldn't reach their hand down in and steal money. Problem then, problem now, but we, you know, we trust you, so we, we just put it out there for you. Maybe he's referring to the trumpet-shaped box, the shofar chest. Whatever the case, Jesus is saying, don't make a big deal about your giving. Don't make a big deal about what you give. Verse 2, he says, the hypocrites do that. And Jesus says the hypocrites have their reward in full. It was the type of word you would use, the type of statement you would use to write on a bill uh, the same, paid in full. All they were looking for was to be praised. That's all they were going to get. That's what Jesus says. When they do that, they have, they, they have what they were aiming for. They've got it already. We know that Jesus was the only one in the New Testament that used the word hypocrite. He used it 17 times. The Greek word Uh, Hupokrites, he gave the word moral significance. Hypocrite in those days referred to Greek actors who wore masks to play various roles to hide their true identity in the acting context. Not a bad thing. There were a lot of theaters in Jesus' time. There was a famous theater right near Nazareth where he grew up. There was a theater in Jerusalem. People got it when he talked about being a hypocrite, being an actor, being a faker. 
The word came to be used for someone, referred to someone who gave false uh, information, false representation, someone who practiced deceit, someone who was full of guile. Now, in the Bible, there are several kinds of hypocrites that are mentioned. One kind pretends to be good, but is really evil, and they know it. They know they're being deceptive. That's, that's one kind of hypocrite. It's the worst kind, probably. Then there's another kind of hypocrite that's carried away by his own acting and deceives himself, but those around aren't fooled. They see right through it. And then there's a third kind of hypocrite who deceives himself into thinking he's actually serving God while he's being hypocritical. And he fools both himself and other people. That's the kind of hypocrite Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6. They do things to be seen. He says they do things to be seen in the synagogues. For us, it would be in church, amongst the people of God. And they do it out on the street corners. For us, that'd be out in the community, in our civic affairs. They do it to be noticed. They do it to gain a reputation for doing good. They do it for the wrong reasons. You see, our giving ought to be out of love for God, not love for recognition, not love for attention, not to get a standing ovation. Dennis Prager says that the number one desire or urge in this generation is not money, it's not relationships, it's fame. It's being recognized. Everybody wants their 15 minutes. Well, what do we do to be honest, to be, to be honored, to be noticed? What are the types of things we do? You know, again, I don't know of anyone who blows trumpets before they give. It's not a problem for us. But we're much more subtle than that, aren't we? We're much more subtle. So how do we do things to be noticed and honored? You see, sometimes you don't realize until after you do it that you did it for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's uh, when anger or resentment or hurt steps in because you weren't recognized and you realize you did it for the wrong reasons. When you care too much that no one said anything to you. Motive is so important why we do what we do. That our intent is determined by what we want and expect from our action. That's how you know what your motive is. What do you want and what do you expect from the thing you do? What, what outcome do you want? When we, here's how we do it. When we tell people about what we've given, when, when we slyly work it into a conversation, just this week, for about a year and a half, I was sitting on something that I knew I had given someone something and I had kept it anonymous. Just this week, while I was studying for this sermon, I got my reward. I, I let it slip in conversation. Wanted someone to know that I had helped this particular person. Got all I was looking for. We do things to be noticed. We do things to be honored. And sometimes you don't realize it. Motive's important. Here's, we do it to be honored when we, ex, we go in expecting to be recognized for the good thing we did, for the thing we gave. You know, professional fundraisers know that they can get a lot of people to give a lot of money to build a building. They know that because you get naming rights the more money you give. So you could have your name on a building. But they can find hardly anyone who will give an endowment to take care of that building for 20 years. Well, there's no glory in that. Hey, I'll give the money for my name to be on the building, but what, you want me to take care of it for 20 years? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. 
motive is so important. When we want, expect to be recognized, when you aim the conversation towards revealing the thing you want to say, you even set the person up to ask you questions, and you say, well, hey, I was just answering, I was just being honest. Just telling them what they asked for. Got to be honest. Your motive to be noticed, your motive to be honored. And again, it's, it's not, by the way, it's not a bad thing to be honored. Just as long as you don't set it up. Just as long as you don't angle for it and get what you're looking for. It's not a bad thing to be honored. Uh, as Proverbs 27, 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Let another praise you and not your own lips. See, we know how we're not supposed to to give, uh, but how are we to give? With regard to giving, there's some basic things that we need to understand. So let me give you some basics uh, from the Bible about giving, some biblical basics on how should you give. The first thing is this, that biblical giving is spiritual. It is to be spiritual. It is an act of worship. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. And from the first of all your produce, give to God first. Honor Him. Worship Him from what He has given to you. Psalm 116 and verse 12, the psalmist cries out, What shall I render to God? What shall I give to God for all the benefits that He has given to me? It's like in Matthew 25. Go there with me. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is talking about the last judgment and that he, would come, he will come in his glory. He will come again to take those with him who love him. And he talks about those who, who, who fed the hungry and, and gave water to the thirsty and, and was kind to strangers and, and, and clothed the naked and helped those that were in prison. And they said, well, when did we ever do that? When did we do that? And Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. That when we are doing what God calls us to do, we are serving Jesus. That to Jesus you are giving honor. That Jesus you are giving tribute. To Jesus you're giving glory. To Jesus you're worshiping. If you give to the poor, you're blessing Jesus. If you clothe the naked, you're blessing Jesus what he says he delights in receiving the honor that is due his name he, he he delights in the honor that his name gets when he is glorified and magnified when he is valued so our, our, our giving first and foremost must be spiritual it is is a, is an act of worship well the second thing our giving needs to be is dependent 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 on god james 1 says that god is the giver of every good and perfect gift right Right? He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. It all comes from Him. You think about it. Jesus is in heaven today, risen, triumphant, coming again, and supplying everything we need to do everything He calls us to do. He is supplying everything we give. We took an offering earlier in the service. He supplied everything that was put in that, in that offering container. Our giving needs to be dependent upon Him. All that we have is is from Him. Haggai verse 8 in chapter 2, it says, "The, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord. Everything's His. 2 Corinthians 9 in verse 8, 
God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having always, having all sufficiency in everything, you might have an abundance for every good deed. That God is going to make grace abound to you. That God is going to bless you and give you what you have to enable you to give. It's a dependency we have upon Him that we have nothing except what we have from God. But you might say, well, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very um, good at what I do. So I've been able to make money. How are you able to make money? Because God gave you the gift to be good at what you do. Well, I've worked hard, you say. Well, yes, well, who gave you the, the, the ability to work hard? To do well what you do. Everything is from the Lord. So our giving is dependent. If you give something to a prisoner, if you give clothes to the naked, if you give drink to the thirsty, if you give fellowship to a stranger, the ability to do that comes from Jesus. So our giving is dependent. It's spiritual. It's worship. But it's also dependent. That we are dependent upon God. But our giving also needs to be sacrificial. Sacrificial. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 3 says, I testify that according to their ability, even beyond their ability, they gave out of their, of their own accord. Are you giving of your ability? Are you giving even beyond your ability? I remember the story of Antonio Rossi the founder of Tropicana Orange Juice. When he was first starting out, he barely had anything. And he told God, he was a believer, and he told God that he would give God 50% of everything he ever earned. And he did. He pioneered uh, frozen orange juice, concentrate orange juice, and, and he got to the point where he was making a lot of money. And as his wealth began to grow, he began to feel the pinch of giving so much money away. And so he pared back on his 50% commitment to God. And you know what God did? Well, God pared back his earnings so that he could afford to give 50% without it hurting so much. He learned a valuable lesson. And for the rest of his life, he kept good to his promise to give 50% of everything he ever made. Our giving needs to be sacrificial. doesn't matter if you make a little or a lot. Does it hurt at all? Our giving also needs to be thankful. Thankful. In the context of giving, go with me. We're using a lot of quotes from 2 Corinthians here. 2 Corinthians 9. In the context of giving, Paul says these words. 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And we know the gift is Jesus. We know the gift is the, is the gospel. But if you, if you trail back up and, and, and go back up in the passage, you realize that he is talking about real material things that they are giving based upon what Jesus did through the gospel. Based upon him saving them by grace through faith. They were giving. They were giving of what they had. And they were thankful. They were thankful to God for all the benefits he had given them. Thankful for the ability even to give. Proverbs 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It's all from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul asks this. What do you have that you've not received? What do you have that you've not received? Everything we have comes from him. And we're to be thankful for it. Our giving also needs to be cheerful. We know this one. God loves the cheerful giver. You might not know where it is, but you know it's in the Bible. God loves a cheerful giver. Someone who gives voluntarily. Someone who gives willingly. Someone who's not forced. They're not under compulsion. But they freely give. 
They freely receive, so they freely give. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion, not because someone says you have to. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a, a giver where it comes from a cheerful heart, thankful heart, worshiping heart. Glad to be able to give. Our giving also needs to be regular. Regular. On the first day, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. In those days, people were paid every day. Most of us aren't paid on a daily basis. We're paid on a bi-weekly or a monthly basis or a weekly basis. But when God prospers you, set aside what you intend to give to him. Set it aside first. I remember when Angela and I were, were first married. We were you know, scraping the bottom of the, of the coin barrel and uh, we looked at each other one day and said, I guess it's Taco Bell tonight you know and uh at that point in time that was when they were had the really like 29 cent tacos and we're like we're going there and we even started having this discussion maybe look we don't have a lot of money and we're trying to just pay the bills maybe we'll set, lay off on our tithe for a while because you know we got to pay the bills i tell you god says honor him from the first of your increase honor him from the first the rest will go farther i remember my friend dave newsma uh, when we were college students and we were barely scraping by. He was a good example for me of every week setting aside something for the church. He had been brought up to do that. As a college student, he was writing a check. And I remember being at his place many times. And there would be a check sitting right there. I even asked him one time, what's this? What's my offering? And I remember thinking, that's, that's weird. But he, his parents had taught him and modeled for him that principle of setting aside from whatever, however small or however big it is. I'll tell you, parents, your kids are catching from you what it means to give or what it means to be stingy. You don't have to say a word. They know where the money's going. They see. Regular. The other thing is our, our giving needs to be, there's a lot of things we could say about this, by the way, but the last thing I'll mention is that our giving needs to be Generous generous uh, open-armed generous second corinthians 9 6 paul says uh, here's what i say he who he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly he who sows bountifully they'll reap bountifully the whole sowing and reaping idea but god wants us to give of our time of our talents of our treasure but the question comes up well how, how much should i give what should I give? And everyone always says, well, should I give 10%? That's in the Bible, right? The Old Testament had the, the tithe. How much should you give? The Old Testament, by the way, required the tithe. Important to know, though, the tithe in the Old Testament was not the limit. It was the starting point. We go, hey, I, I, I gave, I'm giving 10%. Wow. That was the starting point. I have a good friend who says, hey, the standard under grace is higher than under law. Our giving needs to be generous. How much should you give? Go with me to Malachi chapter 3. Book right before Matthew. Not hard to find. Malachi chapter 3. All about some strong words. In Malachi, God gives strong words all the way through. He tells them he loves them. And then 
He says, your leaders are sinning. Your families are sinning. You're all doing stuff. And then he says this. He goes, and you're robbing me. Verse 8. Malachi 3, verse 8. He says this. Strong words. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. God says this to his people. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, God says. In the 10% and above. In the tithes and the offerings. You are cursed with a curse, he says, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. And then he says this in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And here's the only time in the Bible that God says to test him. He says, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. God's saying, you don't think you can do it? Test me. Try me. Try it. And will I not pour out a blessing for you until it overflows? You see what I will do. That's what God says. I'll tell you this. If you are a believer and you are not giving, you are missing out on so much joy that God intends for you in your life. And you are, you are really robbing God. And you're robbing yourself of the joy that God would give you. In terms of the amount we give, going back to that question, well, should we give 10%? I'll just say this. The New Testament does not require a tithe. There is some money that the New Testament requires of us. It requires of us to pay our taxes. That's what the New Testament requires of us. Pay your taxes. So what do you do about the giving? The Old Testament tithe was not a limit. It was a starting point. So here's what you do. You give as God has blessed you. Give as God has blessed you. Proportionate to his blessing. If you're well off, if he's blessed you with a lot, then God has given you wealth and he wants you to to exercise wisdom and discernment as you utilize that wealth. Utilize it to serve him, not serve your own selfish pleasures. Not serve yourself, but to serve him. If God has blessed you with a little, and you say, oh, that's not a blessing, it's a curse. No, if you're blessed with a little, you're blessed. And so maybe God has blessed you with a little. Well, he wants you to be wise and discerning in the use of the little that you have. And not use it on your own selfish pleasures, but use it to serve him. Not be always wanting more and more and complaining that he hasn't given you more. It doesn't matter if it, whether, it's, whether, it, whether you have little or, a, or much. It's not my money. It's not your money. It's his money. Everything belongs to him. He has entrusted it to us, given us the ability to earn it, given us the ability to give it, uh, even in tough times. World Magazine had an article recently about that, how giving money in tough times says a lot about Christian security. William Lobdell, he he wrote a book recently called Losing My Religion. He chronicles his conversion to Christianity and his subsequent rejection of Jesus and Christianity. After a decade of of covering the religion um, section for the LA Times, many of his stories had to do with Christians and what they did with their money. And he says evangelicals don't give anywhere near 10% of their income to charity. Only a very few often on the fringes of mainstream or evangelical Christianity, behave with their money as if they believe the gospel is actually true. And this is from an unbeliever. 
the data suggests that Lobdell is only half correct, though. Studies by Syracuse University and others make a compelling case for the generosity of theologically conservative Christians. Uh, philanthropy um, expert Arthur Brooks said that the most important predictor of charitable giving is religious commitment. How committed a person is to God. By the way, did you know that if every believer just started with 10%, there would be no needy among us in this room. There would be no needy among us in our fellowship. There would be no needy in the neighborhoods adjoining the church. Think about it. Now the shame, according to Randy Alcorn, is this. He, and he wrote a book called The, Pre- the Treasure Principle. He wrote a book, uh, a classic called Money, uh, Possessions, and Eternity. And, and World interviewed him and he said this. Alcorn said, giving is a powerful witness of the gospel that he calls the greatest form of evangelism. According to Alcorn, the words charity and grace come from the same Greek word, charis. Uh, When we give, he says, we are both experiencing and sharing God's grace. God's grace, he says, is the lightning. Our giving is the thunder. Thunder is both a result and a testimony of the lightning. Alcorn said that giving in tough economic times is particularly important, especially for the Christian. For one thing, he says, in tough times, Christian charity is needed all the more. For another, he says, the testimony of that giving is even more profound. Giving in tough times tells the world that it is God's providence, not a large checking account, that is the source of our sustenance and security. Remember Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will do that. God will do that. So when it comes to giving, Jesus says, don't make a big deal about it. Don't announce it loudly. Don't do that. Don't do it for your own benefit. But you know what? The Jews thought that giving would take away even their sins. They they thought it would ensure them of heaven. For them to give to the poor was to get forgiveness of sins. One writer said this, it is better to give alms than to lay up gold. Almsgiving delivers from death and it purges away all sin. That's the kind of idea they had. That giving for them was, on, was number one on the list of good deeds that would get them to heaven. That's wrong. But sadly, that sentiment has not been lost. June, 19, uh, excuse me, June 2006, Warren Buffett, at the time the second largest, um, richest man in the world. Excuse me, the second richest man in the world at that time. He announced that he was going to donate 85% of his $44 billion fortune to five different charitable foundations. So he commented on the extreme level of giving that he engaged in. And here is what Buffett said. There is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. Delusional. Jesus says that is not the way to God's blessing. To give, to get. Rather than acquiring fame or to make a name for ourselves, giving is to be a selfless act. It is to be a God-oriented, God-honoring, others-helping act. You know, you can either be like a leech or like a firefly when it comes to giving. Leeches suck things dry of life. But fireflies... They light up the darkness. 
Uh, we don't have fireflies in Southern California, but they are containers of light, and that is what we are supposed to be. Think back with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That the light of Jesus is to shine through us to a dark world. That even in our giving and our sharing, people would see Jesus. That people would be attracted to them and not us. So Jesus tells us what we are not to do when giving. We're not to make a scene. But now we come probably to the hardest part of what Jesus said. It's what you do privately. It's the second thing. It's what goes on internally as we process giving. And basically Jesus says, don't dwell on it. Don't keep dwelling on it. Don't fixate on what you're doing. Verse 3, he says, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What does that mean? I mean, your left hand doesn't have a brain of its own, so how would it know? Are you supposed to put your left hand behind your back when you give? I was telling someone earlier that sometimes when I've given, I've actually like put with my right hand and kind of looked away, you know, Ooh, there's the left hand, right hand thing, you know. It's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Your left hand doesn't have eyes of its own. What, is, what he's saying is that if you're so self-conscious about it and so fixated on it, that could lead to self-righteousness about it. When does that happen? It happens when you think a lot about it. Wow, look what I gave. I wonder when my, when my giving receipt is going to come so I can get my tax deduction. Oh, wow, I gave a big gift. Where's my receipt? Uh, when you remind yourself often about it, what you did, when you congratulate yourself, then you're letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you're so self-conscious about it, you become self-righteous about it. Or how about when you're waiting for recognition? You're waiting for recognition, and it doesn't come, and you tell yourself you've been mistreated, and so you get angry, and you nurse your wounds, and you become resentful. That's letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But Jesus says in verse 4, let it be in secret. Let it be in secret. Unassuming in contrast with with one-upmanship, with trying to be better than everybody else, or trying to outdo others in giving. Uh, As Brian Regan put it, beware of the me monster. Okay, The me monster comes in and giving. Look how much I gave. Oh, look how much they didn't give. Well, I'm giving more than everyone else. You got to be careful. See, if it's about us and our need to be on top, to be our need to be better than other people, it's sin. See, Jesus says, Your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. Jeremiah 17 and verse 10 I, the Lord, search the hearts. I know the mind. I test the mind. 1 Samuel 16, 7 God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Don't say you know what's in someone's heart. Only God sees the heart. So what's the reward? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, C.S. Lewis put it this way. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. That the reward is being able to give. John Stott put it this way. What then is the reward which the Heavenly Father gives the secret giver? It is probably the only reward which genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy 
namely to see the need relieved. When through his gifts the hungry are fed, the naked clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love, which is God's love expressed through man, brings with it its own secret joys and desires no other reward. You see, the reward is the joy of seeing the need met. The joy of seeing the need met, to be used by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 14 says, Our our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. To engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. And there are a lot of needs in the body of Christ. Not to meet your own need for recognition, but another's need. Not to magnify you, but God. In his book, The Prodigal God, Tim Keller illustrates self-centered giving with this story. There was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And he took it to his king and he said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown and ever will grow. I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. He discerned the man's heart. And so as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. Well, the gardener was amazed, he was delighted, and he went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman in the king's court that day listening in. He overheard all of it. And he said to himself, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion along. And he bowed low, and he said, my lord, I breed horses, and this is the best horse I've ever bred or ever will breed. And I want to present it to you as a token of my love, token of my respect for you. But the king discerned his motives and said, said, thank you. And he took the horse and sent him on his way. And and the nobleman was, was upset. He was perplexed. And so the king said, let me explain. That gardener, was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. See, God wants us to give out of love, not to get things for ourselves. As 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says, if I give away all I have, give away all of it, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, our giving is not to be for others' approval. For them to give us a standing ovation. It's not even to be for our approval. Our left hand high-fiving our right hand. It's to be for God's approval. He knows our hearts. And he rewards us with the truth that as Jesus said in Acts 20 and verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That Jesus gave the perfect pattern for giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. See, it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to him. He gave everything for love. He went to the cross out of love. 
He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we come to the table today, as we come to the table, it all comes back to him. That, that Jesus gave his life so that we might receive his life. And so we come once again to this, to this beautiful table where God has given us two very simple elements, bread and a cup, to remember that Jesus gave the utmost that we might be reconciled to him. This table is for the family of God. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus, this table is for you to remember him. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when you get the bread, please hold on to it and we will partake together.